Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Our next guest is the incredible Cindy Gallup. She is a graduate of Oxford, England, and has 30 years of marketing and advertising experience. She is the founder and CEO of If We Ran The World, and she's also the founder of Make Love Not Porn, which is a social sex tech platform designed to promote good sexual behavior and good sexual values. She's really started a sexual revolution to remove taboos from sex. So welcome to the show, Cindy Gallup. Cindy Gallup, I'm so excited to have you here. How are you, my dear? I'm great and I'm thrilled to be here, Kate. Well, as you know, I pretty much made my podcast uh, after a conversation I had with you a couple of years ago, and I just thought, what a trailblazing Brit this gal is, you. And I just have followed you the last few years, and you have an absolutely fascinating story. First of all, I want you to explain to our listeners what Make Love Not Porn is all about. Start from the beginning. Sure. So, you know, I guess the first thing to say, Kate, is that Make Love Not Porn is a complete and total accident because I never consciously, intentionally set out to do anything that I very bizarrely find myself doing now. It came about through my personal experience dating younger men. The men I date tend to be in their 20s. Yes. Mm -hmm. And realizing 15 years ago, through my direct experience, that when we don't talk openly and honestly about sex in the real world, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And being a naturally action-oriented person, I went, I'm going to do something about this. So 14 years ago, purely as a side venture, I put up on No Money a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. I launched Make Love Not Porn at TED back in 2009. Mm -hmm. I became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage six times in succession. The talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from every single country in the world. Wow. Young and old, male and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out, telling me things about their sex lives and their porn-watching habits they'd never told anyone before. Mm -hmm. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. Mm -hmm. And so that was what drove me to turn Make Love Not Porn into a business designed to do good and make money simultaneously. And so today, we are the world's first and only user-generated, 100% human-curated, social sex video sharing platform. So a kind of what Facebook would be if it allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it sadly doesn't. The way to think about Make Love Not Porn is, if porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, Make Love Not Porn is the badly needed documentary. Mm -hmm. We are a unique window onto the funny, messy, loving, wonderful, comical, awkward ways we all have sex in the real world. 
And doing that, what we're doing is socializing and normalizing sex, bringing it out of the shadows into the sunlight. We are literally sex education through real world demonstration. And um, I foresaw the creator economy 13, 14 years ago because I designed Make Love Not Porn around a revenue sharing business model to democratize access to income. So our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, whom we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And as an utterly unique venture, we have an utterly unique capability. Make Love Not Porn has the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better in a way that nothing else can. And so we call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolution part is not the sex. It's the fact we're finally making it social. Yes. Now, I know you get this question a lot, but just so our listeners understand, what makes this different than Pornhub? So do you know, Kate, it's an indication of how fucked up our society is about sex, that people go, oh, people having sex on video must be porn. Yeah. So first of all, porn is performative, produced entertainment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Porn has producers. It mm-hmm. is staged, scripted, created and performed to arouse. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make love, not porn is real world sex, mm-hmm. which is why I said we are what Facebook would be if it allowed social sexual self-expression, because all I did was I decided to bring every dynamic in social media to this one area of universal human experience no other social network or platform will allow. And so what Make Love Not Porn is people having sex in the real world. And we go to enormous lengths to create a completely safe and trustworthy space Mm-hmm. for people who've never, ever done this before to share their real world sex in the same way that, you know, you might spontaneously video yourself at your birthday dinner or on vacation or in any other part of life. Mm-hmm. And so we are where people video the accidental awkwardness, the messiness, the wonderfulness, the lovingness of mm-hmm. how we're all having sex in the real world. Okay, so many questions. I honestly have so many questions. I just don't even know where to start. And I know people listening to this probably have the same questions. So just on logistics for a second. So you have to find your participants, right, that will agree to be on camera, making love, having sex with their partner. Do you give guidelines to those people of, okay, here's what you do. Here's how you upload. Like, how does it, how do you find your your subjects and how do they get educated and how do they, I guess they have no rights, but the question I would have is who's going to look at this and I guess the shame of perhaps children seeing it. I mean, so many questions, but I'm sure you get these questions a lot. Funnily enough, I don't because people who are familiar with us don't need to ask them. So I'm glad you asked, Kate, because I want to contextualize my answer Mm. in the broader context of the tech landscape as a whole, because I and my team do not get enough credit for how uniquely we operate. We should be a Harvard Business School case study. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because the young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate our lives today, they are not the primary targets, online or offline, of harassment, abuse, racism, sexual assault, violence, rape, revenge, porn. Therefore, they did not, and they do not, proactively design for the prevention of any of those things on their platforms. And we see the results around us every single day. Mm 
Those of us who are most at risk every single day, women, black people, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, we design safe spaces and safe experiences. I and my tiny team spent literally years concepting and designing Make Love Not Porn before we ever built it. Because we knew that if we were going to encourage people to do something they've never ever done before, socially share their real world sex, we had to think through every possible ramification of that to create, as I said, a completely safe and trustworthy space. As a result, not only do we operate unlike anybody else in the adult sphere, we operate unlike anybody else on the internet, period. And that's because, Kate, we designed our platform around enormous respect for our community. Mm -hmm. And nowhere else do you see that respect because to everybody else, community is dollar signs, statistics, numbers. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is I designed Make Love Not Porn to be the safest place on the internet mm -hmm. because I designed it through the female lens around what everybody else should have, nobody else did, human curation. There is no self-publishing of anything on Make Love Not Porn. Our curators watch every single frame of every single video submitted from beginning to end before we approve or reject and we publish it. Nobody else does that. Our curators review every post on every member profile, photo, illustration, text. We approve or reject and we publish it. Nobody else does that. Our curators review every single comment on every single video before we approve or reject and publish it. Nobody else does that. We can vouch for every piece of content on our platform in a way that nobody else can. And that is why we are the safest place on the internet. But we take human curation to lengths that nobody else has even conceived of. So first of all, it's not possible to even complete our submissions process unless your video is fully consensual, legal, everyone's over 18. We require full identifying details and two forms of government-issued ID for every single participant. And by the way, most adult sites only require one. We require two, including if you've chosen somebody else behind the camera. Even if you ever see them, we have to know exactly who they are, two forms of visual ID for them, government visual ID for them as well. It's not even possible to complete submitting, let alone ever have published anything not consensual or legal. So um, when, when the video passes that test, our curators view it, as I said, from beginning to end, and we do that purely to ensure it's real, real-world sex, nobody's performing, and it's consensual. But our curators are trained and briefed to, even when all the criteria have been fulfilled, to look at the video and, and go, is the camera in a position where everyone knows it's there? We say to our curators, if you have a bad feeling about this video, that's enough for us not to publish it. You don't have to rationalize it, don't explain it. Bad feeling, enough. You know? Then, you know, with things like um, curating comments, when we onboard our Make Love Not Porn stars, we ask each one, and by the way, we build an individual relationship with every single one of our contributors. We know each of them personally. Nobody else anywhere on the internet does that. So we will ask each Make Love Not Porn star as they come on board, you know, is there any language that you'll prefer not to see in your comments? Because you can tell, and, and by the way, our community is utterly respectful, very grateful, but they may express their enthusiasm, you know, in, in language that that make love points would rather not see. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is, we will not publish comments using that language. So one make love not points does said to us, I don't want to see any comments about my feet. And we're thinking, okay, your feet look great to us, but fine. If anybody says about your feet, we won't publish those comments. Or, you know, we have a lot of trans non-binary contributors mm -hmm. and, and we have pronouns on everyone's profile but mm -hmm. they may present as a different gender. 
And it can be very triggering to be misgendered in comments. And so we will not publish any comments that do that. We take care, concern, respect for our community to lengths nobody else does. And you asked where our Make Love Not Porn Stars come from. Every one of them has their own personal journey and they find us. Because as you know, Kate, Make Love Not Porn is banned from advertising anywhere. We cannot advertise and promote ourselves across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, Google. So our Make Love Not Porn Stars find us and our video submissions rate keeps going up. We're averaging between five to six videos a day on no advertising. Imagine what we can do when I raise the funding I'm currently working to raise, which is when we can advertise, because with money, it's amazing what's possible. So we've created an extraordinary community built on shared sexual values. And so your question about why do people do this is because they've come to us, they've found us, and they share our social mission. They want to see a more open, healthy dialogue around and attitudes towards and behavior around sex. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, we've had Make Love Not Porn stars be so blown away. They've shared videos without even realizing they could get paid for them. So just a couple more questions, because I absolutely want everyone to understand both the business model and the reasons behind it. Right. So first of all, do your actors get paid and do they give their names? First of all, Kate, they're not actors. These are everyday people, our make love, not porn stars, as we like to call them. That's a, that's a name for them. So as I said, 14 years ago, I designed to make love, not porn around a revenue sharing business model to democratize access to income. And so when we launched in January 2013, I wrote a blog post about our business model, and I titled it How Make Love Not Porn Can Help the Global Economy. And I began it by saying, you know, all those little scam ads that pop up on the internet all the time going, make $2,000 a week working from home. Well, now you can. And I said in that blog post, my vision is that one day, Make Love Not Porn should hit the kind of critical mass where your social sex video gets a million rentals at $5 per rental, and we give you half that income. I see. Now, we're a very mm -hmm. long way away from doing that. But mm -hmm. what I love is that, I mean, over the years, we've encouraged our Make Love Not Porn stars to, to tell us how they spend what is effectively bonus income. Mm -hmm. and, and so people have paid off student loans. They've bought a washing machine they couldn't afford otherwise. They've gone on vacations they couldn't afford it otherwise. They've contributed to charity. You know, um, and what is really gratifying is, you know, we fight a battle every day to keep this business alive. But even in our tiny bootstrapping state, during the pandemic, when like everyone else, our Make Love Not Porn stars had, you know, lost work, couldn't find jobs, and none of them told us that our monthly payouts helped them survive, mm -hmm. help them pay rent, keep going. You know, last month, our highest earning Make Love Not Porn star made just over $2,200. Multiply that by 12, that's a salary. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking it's kind of the same thing that I do with my swimming pool, right? I have a swimming pool and I rent it out. It's a little income that I wouldn't necessarily but bonus have. income. Bonus yeah, income. It's, exactly. the, it's yeah. the same thing. Exactly. But, um, yeah. And, and maybe like, you know, OnlyFans is obviously, you know, taken off in such a huge way where, you know, you choose what you are going to show about yourself. And uh, some women, I guess and men, I don't know, I haven't been on the site, but from what I know, you make hundreds of thousands of dollars 
with OnlyFans and a lot of also very well-known people are like Denise Richards is on that now. So it's kind of, a, you know, I, I like to think of it the way you're describing it. It's the sort of shared economy of sexual wellness and desire. Because we got asked a lot, Kate, about how we were different from OnlyFans, we created actually um, a little social media asset that we share. But just to explain how very different we are, again, because we design this community around respect. Basically, you know, everything that, that, that we designed is designed to keep our community safe. Both our members, by the way, and our Make Love Not Porn stars. OnlyFans did not design themselves around sex workers' needs at all. And so that is why sex workers are not safe on OnlyFans. You know, OnlyFans is a 24-7 job. If you want to make money on OnlyFans, you've got to keep refreshing that content, yeah. bringing something new yeah. every day. On Make Love Not Porn, you're just sharing the sex you have in the real world. You might feel like uploading a video one month, three months go by, you know, before you feel like uploading the next one. In the meantime, your video's there earning you passive income. On OnlyFans, you are performing to fans' demands. If you want to make money, you've got to do what your fans ask for, mm -hmm. no matter how degrading or, you know, not to your own taste that may be. On Make Love Not Porn, nobody's performing. You know, nobody's influencing in any way the way that you have sex in the real world, which is all that you're sharing. OnlyFans works really well if you can import a very large following from somewhere else. So for people with huge Instagram followings, huge TikTok followings, you can import all of those followers to OnlyFans. If you are, you know, a person who lost a job in the pandemic, desperately needs to pay the rent, has decided you want to do something sex-wise to do that, the onus is entirely on you to build up your fan base. OnlyFans never promote anybody, which, by the way, is a huge shame because they have a colossal platform with a colossal community. They don't promote any of their performance to them. On Make Love Not Porn, we do all the promotion for you. Mm -hmm. We send our members several emails a week. Um, we theme collections of videos around different themes. You know, we promote Make Love Not Porn and our Make Love Not Porn stars across all our social channels. You know, and, and by the way, a number of them also promote themselves, but you don't have to because mm -hmm. we do all the promoting for you. On OnlyFans, it's incredibly difficult to get your content taken down when you don't want it up there anymore. Yeah. They make it very difficult. Yeah. On Make Love Not Porn, the moment you don't want your videos up anymore, you tell us and they're gone instantly. And what I mean by that is we don't have a process. We don't have an application form you fill in online. All you do is you message us and whoosh, they're gone. You know, a Make Love Not Porn star messaged us the other day. Within 15 minutes, all their videos were gone. Nobody else on the internet does that, by the way, anywhere beyond OnlyFans. I guess what I would say fundamentally is I designed Make Love Not Porn around all my own beliefs, philosophies, and values. I have a very clear set of values, and my business reflects those, and OnlyFans didn't. So let's talk about you, Cindy, because they obviously broke the mold when they made you. And we're both British girls, and we work both in the female empowerment, female sexual wellness space, which is a very hard space to work in. You are Oxford educated, advertising background, similar to myself, by the way. And you have had yourself quite an interesting way of life sexually. You are a lady 
in her 60s who dates younger men, mostly in their 20s. We have to delve into that. Have you been married? Oh, my God, no. no. Absolutely okay. bloody not. No. <laughs> so you haven't been married, and the way that you lead your life is taking on lovers, and you're very sex orientated from what I understand about you. But tell us a little bit about you, because obviously, you know, you you are very empowered as a human, as a female, and you go after what you want and you get it. So where does all that come from? Sure. So, so first of all, um, I will just explain for our listeners, Kate, that, you know, I am somebody who has never, ever wanted to be married. I have never wanted children. Very glad I was new that as opposed to finding out the hard way by having them. I adore being single. I'm not a relationship person. I cannot wait to die alone. And I date younger men casually and recreationally for sex. And I'm deliberately very public about all of that because we don't have enough role models in our society, for women and for men, by the way, that demonstrate you can live your life very differently to the way that you're expected to and still be amazingly happy. And I'm one of the happiest people I know. You know, at the same time, you know, like Make Love Not Porn, everything in my life and career has happened by accident. Okay, I've never consciously intentionally planned anything. And so dating younger men happened by accident because I used to run an advertising agency here in New York. And gosh, 20 odd years ago, we were asked to pitch for an online dating brand, which was coming out of the UK, wanted to launch in the US, take on Match, the big player. And in the advertising industry, when you pitch for a client's business, you have to experience the client's product and the entire competitive landscape. So we all had to online date. And this was 20 odd years ago, and none of us ever had because it wasn't a thing back then. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. So the rest of my pitch team at the agency, they were all you know, living with, dating, married. So they all went online as fake personas. They created false identities. I was single. I thought, okay, you know, I've got to do this for business reasons. Why not do it for real? Why not find out what this whole online dating thing is all about? So I, you know, posted my profile on a bunch of sites, very honest about everything, including my age, got an avalanche of responses, very good for the ego. But much to my surprise, because I have not identified this as a dating strategy, 75% of those responses were from younger men, and the majority of those were from much younger men. Mm. And I went, wow. Okay, I haven't thought about this as a dating model, but hey, works for me. Had you put on your profile that you were interested in casual sex? The reason I ask that question is, let's say more mature women, there's a stereotype of a young man wanting to have sex with an older woman because they think they're going to have the best sex ever, right? So I, I'm just curious as to why there was an avalanche of 20-year-olds? So all I said on my profile was, and again, remember, this, this is 20-odd years ago when profiles didn't give you as much room to be creative as, you know, they were questionnaires and they weren't as well-developed as they are now. So I put my age up. I made it clear I wasn't looking to get married. You know, no, I did not want children. You know, I just wanted to have some fun because I just started an advertising agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace I was working 24-7. Fun was severely missing from my life. But it was no more specific than that. And what I will say is, first of all, I went, oh, my God, here is the perfect dating model for me, you know, which is why I've been following it for the past 20 years. So I meet the younger men I date on cougar dating sites. 
I applaud the rise of the niche online dating site. And by the way, this wasn't there when I started. I mean, they came out of the woodwork. But even I, who champion this relationship model, am gobsmacked by the number of younger men who want to date older women. And I say date specifically, not to have sex with, but to have relationships with. Oh, really? And this is how my relationships operate, because no matter how casual the relationship, I've one fundamental criteria. They have to be a very nice person. Yeah. I have fantastic radar for very nice people. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I only date utterly lovely younger men in an atmosphere of mutual trust, respect, liking, affection. And as a result, rather ironically, my so-called cash relationships go on a lot longer than most people's so-called committed ones. Yeah. So I date younger men over periods of two, three, four, five, 10, 15 years, off and on. They may go on to date girls their own age. They may marry women their own age. We like each other. We stay friends. You know, we'll meet platonically mm. for drinks or coffee. Then every so often those relationships end, you know, the marriages end and they come back and it's very nice. Interesting. So you are now, what, 63? 63, yeah. And what's your age range of men that you will date? Would you date somebody your own age? Here's the thing. I don't want a relationship, okay? I okay. just want sex. I like lots of stamina and very short recovery periods. A 63-year-old man is not going to deliver. No. I mean, I mean, fact of life. And, you know, I have many lovely 60-year-old men friends, you know, but I'm not looking for anything more than sex. And in that context, you know, younger men deliver. Okay. So good. So good. And now, as a 63-year-old beautiful woman that you are, and I have to say, I really appreciated your comment about they have to be nice, because that is actually what is missing now, also in the dating world. And so many women, you know, my age are now divorced, you know, and they're like, oh my God, i got to go out in the dating world. And how on earth am I going to do that? So how do you meet these men now? Like, what are the dating sites that you use? And how long do your relationships tend to last? And I love the fact that you stay friends afterwards. That shows that you are also a very decent, nice person. But yeah, how do you do it? And where do they come from? And what are the sort of patterns? So I encourage every older woman interested in dating younger men to just Google cougar dating sites because there are so many of them. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, you need to pick the one that's right for you, you know, as within any dating site. As I said, I've been doing this for 20 odd years. So my relationships have lasted off and on for two, three, four, five, 10, 15 years, literally. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's amazing how they will suddenly resurface after a period of years. The pandemic obviously severely curtailed this approach. It was a dry spell. Basically because as an older woman, I'm super cautious. And by the way, I still am. Yeah. You know, I've been quintuply vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I mask up everywhere, especially because I go back to London very regularly to visit my 90-year-old mother, and I'm mm -hmm. not putting her at any risk. And so I think things have been narrowed down considerably. I'm still not back out there as fully as, as I was pre-pandemic. So through the pandemic, I had my pandemic pod. And so I had one young gentleman who is here in New York, whom I met when he was 19. He's now 28. And, you know, it's very nice whenever I see him. And talking of being safe and healthy, what is your regime when you meet, you know, because obviously there's the risk of STIs. Condoms all condoms the way. Condoms all the way. I, I'm it. a dedicated condom user. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, they don't mind. Actually, I engage a bit of anthropology because... 
I have a huge stock of condoms um, in my nightstand, obviously, along with lube and vibrators and all of that. But I'm always very interested to see how the man will approach this conversation. Yeah. Behaviour. And I've heard them all, you know, oh, I don't have any with me. I'm too big, you know, bullshit. Basically. Oh, yeah. I'm too big comment. Hilarious. And yeah. I'm very good at, <laughs> at putting the condom on for them. So, you know, I just go, that's fine. You know, I'm also very good at assessing by eye very quickly, which size I'm going to pull out of the drawer <laughs> and, then, and then put it on Amazing. for them. Got it. Well, I, I think everything you're saying is very, very interesting. And, you know, what I've also read about you and what you talk about in your text talk is what we're told, how we form our opinions about sex and what you should be as a woman. And, you know, this taboo around promoting marriage and the white picket fence and having your Volvo and your, your 2.3 kids. And you've obviously gone down a different path. And I'm sure people say to you all the time, aren't you afraid of being lonely? Are you going to die alone? Are the cat's going to eat you? You know? Um, no, they don't, Kate, because I say all the time, I cannot wait to die alone. I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. Oh, okay. What do you have to look forward to about that exactly? Do you have no fear, Cindy? No, because again, you know, it's so ridiculous that anybody who has a fear of dying alone is only thinking about what will comfort them in their final days as yeah. being a romantic partner. That's absolute fucking bollocks. Well, you're also going to die. Everyone dies alone anyway. I mean, <laughs> you've no guarantee. Oh, yeah, but Kate, I have an amazing family. I have three sisters whom I love to death. Yeah. I have a ton of, um, you know, nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. I have an amazing circle of friends, including a number of incredibly good, incredibly close friends. You know, I deliberately say I cannot wait to die alone because I don't give a shit about having a romantic partner yeah. at my bedside when I die because I will never die alone because I'm surrounded by such yeah. wonderful family and friends. You know, yeah. and, and so I find it absolutely appalling that the words die alone always relate to, oh, my God, you don't have a husband or a wife. That is such a narrow-minded, joyless way of looking at the love we can all access in life, whether or not we have a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. Well said. And Cindy, being a mature, wise woman, obviously our bodies change, right? Our bodies change over the years. None of us look like we did when we were 20. When you have a new partner, a new sexual partner, I would imagine you just whip your clothes off, uh, own your body and get down on it. Do you ever think to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm about to have sex with this virile 20-year-old who's, you know, got this incredible tight body and tight skin. Do you ever feel any shame over your body? Because this is what I hear all the time, like women who just don't even want to take their clothes off in front of their partner or their husband that they've been with for, you know, 15 years. I, I'm sure you watched the film Leo Grande. I'm just totally obsessed with it. It's about everything Make Love Not Porn is about that film. I love it to death. So how does that work for you? So Kate, I don't give a shit because that young man I is pathetically grateful to be there. And I have to tell you that I have never been told I'm beautiful as often as since I, I began dating younger men. I love okay? it. Younger men think my body is the best thing ever. And this is what older women do not realize. Younger men think your body, all of us, is the absolute best thing ever when they're lucky enough to be in proximity to it. In fact, I look at this quite the other way around. Because I don't give a shit what they think about me, but they make it very clear they appreciate my body enormously. You know, I focus on making them feel good about theirs. 
And you would be surprised how much they've never had that happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one young man I was dating, this is many years ago, he was 21. He was in the wrestling team at his university, body of a Greek god, okay? (laughs) Incredibly good looking. And I remember him sitting on the side of my bed the morning after, you know, one of our first um, dates, saying shyly, you make me feel so sexy. Wow. And that is because... Because I don't, you know, I don't care what thing about my body. I can focus on making them feel really good about theirs. Mm-hmm. I tell the young men I sleep with how much I love their bodies mm-hmm. and how much I love every part of them. Yeah. Appreciate things that aren't their dick. You know, I have yeah. a real thing for male forearms. Okay, nice, musty yeah. male forearm with a yeah. slight furry face. <laughs> so I tell the younger men I sleep with that they are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I use that word advisedly because nobody ever uses it of men. And quite often, you know, these young men have never, ever had anybody appreciate them in that way. Because, mm. you know, I'm curious myself, I always ask any younger man I meet on a cougar dating site, why are you here? Yeah. Why are you entailed women? And what I hear often is girls my own age are so insecure. Yeah. And by the way, Kate, I remember myself in my teens. Oh, and me too. You know, oh, horrible. So, horrible. So I totally empathize yeah. with those girls. But basically... The shame of it is that when you are insecure about yourself, your focus is all entirely on yourself. When that girl is worrying about what she looks like in bed, she's not telling that young man, you look gorgeous, you know? And so I do that. Yeah. And do you always have sexual pleasure with these encounters? Absolutely. Yeah. And do these boys know what they're doing or do you show them? So here's the thing, you know, Make Love Not Porn was inspired by some, but not all of the younger men I date. You know, I've dated younger men who have no need of Make Love Not Porn in any way whatsoever. You know, again, my business grew out of what I do. You know, um, I said that Make Love Not Porn is an accident, but what is no accident is that I've spent 38 years working in advertising in the business of communication. Mm, mm. I know, therefore, that everything great in life and business is born out of great communication. Sex is no different. Great sex is born out of great communication in the bedroom. Yeah. Let's go back for a second and talk about some of the barriers that you, and we're almost out of time, which is tragic. We're going to have to do part two because I know that everyone is going to have so many questions. I saw a post recently that you put up on, I think it was LinkedIn, and I related to it so much about women leaders like us who've started businesses, we start nonprofit organizations, you know, we're out there trying to change the world, right? And I can't tell you how many times today alone, I've had two calls of people asking me advice, you know, or like, oh, I just want to grab a coffee and pick your brain. And I saw a post that you made about being asked to speak on a panel or go to a conference where not only you have to pay your own way, but you don't get paid for it. So let's end our podcast with your thoughts about that, because it's one of the most frustrating things that I feel as a woman with 30 odd years of experience that I have both in advertising, in development, in business, in nonprofit, in the whole gamut of what I have to offer. And I am constantly hit up to do favors, to speak, to do this, to do that without any form of compensation. So go. So I am absolutely ruthless about this, Kate. Um, The only way to get to speak paid is to refuse to speak unpaid. So I simply will not speak anywhere 
that isn't going to pay me or that is offering an embarrassingly, ludicrously token fee. I, ju I just won't do it. And I, like you, get a huge number of messages every day from lovely people asking for free advice, input, meetings, mentorship, whatever. And I have a cut and paste response for this because I get so many. Yeah, and what my cut and paste response says, which I obviously personalized to, you know, um, the, the case of whoever's mm -hmm. approaching, but it basically says, I'm going to be straightforward. I work full time, unpaid on Make Love Not Porn, mm -hmm. batting a huge number of challenges, and I have to support myself alongside by paid consultancy and speaking. At the same time, exactly what I just said to you, I get many messages every day from lovely people like yourself asking for free advice, input, etc. Sadly, I'm not in a financial position to be able to dedicate the huge amount of unpaid time it would take to be able to respond to every one of those many daily messages. And I can only engage through paid coaching and consultation. Mm -hmm. You know, I do apologize for this, and I hope you understand. Mm. And if given the individual messages case, this helps, I can direct them to a talk of mine online, you know, or an interview where I've talked about something that may help whatever they're asking about, or say, if you're interested in my paid coaching services to advise you on this, you know, let me know. But I am completely straightforward about it because I fight a battle every day to keep Make Love Not Porn going. I'm working to raise a serious round of funding to change both my companies and my circumstances because I would like very much to be able to pay myself a salary that means I don't have to hustle alongside my startup. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, I'm just very open about explaining precisely why. Mm. I'm sorry, I can't do that. And, mm. and actually, people always understand. When I've laid out the exact scenario, they say, I really appreciate you being honest. Mm. And with what Facebook and Instagram have now lifted a lot of the bots that block this type of content, has that helped you at all? So the answer is no, because they haven't. There is no concerted fundamental effort um, to do that. Here's the thing, Kate. I've spent 14 years parallel pathing two things, working to build Make Love Not Porn and working to change the business and cultural context around it. Because when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And so the good news is that after 14 years of that work, I am finally seeing those barriers fall. So... You know, I mentioned I'm raising a serious round of funding. I'm working to raise $17 million, and I want to contextualize that. I've kept Make Love Not Porn operational for 10 years on just $3 million of funding, and that's an mm. extraordinary feat. So Amazing. it's time for serious funding. I want to raise $17 million in order to build solutions to my own problems. So that 17 million is not just to scale the core business, make love not porn.tv. It's to finally build the zero to 18 version, make love not porn.academy, a go-to global hub for the world's sex education content that I've had in the pipeline for years, been talking about for years. But it's also to build my own ad tech because I am the OG of both sex tech and advertising. You are. Mm -hmm. And I want to solve not just my problem, but all of ours. And so I want to pilot, um, in the first instance across Make Love Not Porn's own properties, but I want to pilot ad tech that will serve ads from everybody who, like us, is currently banned for advertising. You know, and, and as you know, there's a gendered lens of play. It's not just sex-related ventures. 
any female lens sexual health and wellness venture, menstruation, menopause, fertility, they can't advertise on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok either. They I get know. their content blocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And interestingly, it's not just small businesses, it's the big guns. Procter mm. & Gamble, Unilever, Essity, Reckitt Benckiser cannot advertise Sanpro, condoms, lube, the way they want to. Mm. So I want to build ad tech that, unlike all other ad tech on the market, is going to serve ads that people actually want to watch. Mm. And there are three reasons people want to watch these ads. The first is that, as I said, I'm going to open it up to all of us. And we are all providing products and services that help with these most intimate areas of our lives that people are desperate to help with and that they can't see ads for anywhere else because they're all banned. So at a pure informational level, let alone sales, that's reason number one. But reason number two is on my ad tech, you can advertise any bloody way you like. Mm. No censorship, no holds barred. And I use the word bloody advisedly because, you know, Sampro ads, forget the blue ink on the pad. Bring on the blood. Have fun with it. This mm. is every brand and advertising agency's dream creative brief. Be funny, engaging, entertaining yeah. in all these areas with no holds barred. And that's why my ad tech has a share button. Because people want to share these ads with their entire network. This is where going viral is a feature, not a happenstance. And thirdly, people want to watch these ads because, again, at the heart of everything we do lies human curation. You apply to be allowed to advertise. We will decide whether A, your brand's legit, whether we endorse it, and B, whether your advertising is of sufficient quality to be served on a channel that's all about ads people actually want to watch. Mm. I'm calling this model sale, not scale. Yeah. Cindy, all of this is amazing, and you are a true inspiration. I want to be just like you when I grow up. Thank you for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure, Kate, and well done on everything you're doing as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code podcast10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.